The word of the Lord from Matthew chapter 27, verses 15 through 26. Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release for the crowd any one prisoner whom they wanted. And they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when they had gathered, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release for you? Barabbas? Or Jesus, who is called Christ? For he knew that it was out of envy that they had delivered him up. Besides, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent word to him, Have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I have suffered much because of him today in a dream. Now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor again said to them, Which of the two do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, Then what shall I do with Jesus, who is called Christ? They all said, Let him be crucified. And he said, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Let him be crucified. So when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. And all the people answered, Let his blood be on us and on our children. Then he released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So, who do you want as your next-door neighbor? Your first choice has got a bit of a reputation. He's called a notorious prisoner. Just in case you're thinking something like notorious tax evader, a little more research will reveal that he's known for violent rebellion against the authorities. He's not the sort of big talker who says threatening things about government authorities until someone with a badge is walking by. He's the real deal. He's an outlaw, a brigand, the type who lives in hiding and doesn't really care what happens to you if you're not part of his team. He's also currently serving time for murder and facing execution soon. He's not known as a Robin Hood figure. Don't think of a noble guy who robs the rich and gives to the poor. He's more like the guy who knocks on your door and says, I need you to store some stuff in your basement, and I'm not asking. Well, maybe it could work out. Maybe he could be a decent neighbor. When you go on vacation, maybe you could stop by and water the plants and feed the dog and make sure that nobody was taking your stuff. Of course, he won't feel bad if he takes your stuff, nor will he leave you a receipt. His friends who drop by and stand around your lawn are not going to make you feel very safe. And there's a good chance that the authorities are going to step up patrols in the neighborhood, which sounds okay, except that these authorities are known more for making examples of people than for subtlety. The value of your house is about to drop. 
the cost of your homeowner's insurance is about to skyrocket. Your other choice of neighbor has a different reputation. He's a teacher by trade, and wherever he goes to teach, the crowds gather in its standing room only as he speaks with authority and his hearers are astounded by his word. But he's far more than a teacher. He's a miracle worker. Wherever he goes, he makes people's lives better. He makes the blind see and the deaf hear. He cleanses lepers and even raises the dead, and he never asks for anything in return. Imagine if you've got a dinner guest who has a cardiac event, and this neighbor lives next door. Imagine what might happen when you need to borrow a cup of sugar from the man who feeds 5,000 with five loaves of bread and a couple of fish. Imagine when the next windstorm is about to tear local homes apart, but it just ceases because he tells it to knock it off. Again, he doesn't ask for anything in return. He invites you to be his friend. So those are your options. Who would you like living next door, if not literally, then at least at large in the community? You don't get to choose your neighbors like that very often, but on this day in Jerusalem, you do. Both are in custody, and Pilate has offered to release one and kill the other. He says to the assembled crowd, Whom do you want me to release for you? Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? It doesn't take long for the crowd to make their choice between the violent, unpredictable murderer and the miracle worker. They go with the violent murderer. They go with the man whom everybody knows is guilty. Meanwhile, they call for the ugly death of the one who is innocent, and they know he's innocent. The chief priests and elders have had trouble settling on a charge against Jesus that will get the Roman governor's attention. They've expressed the fear that Jesus will lead a rebellion against Rome that will lead to the nation's destruction, and so they accuse him of treason against Caesar. In other words, they accuse Jesus of committing the crimes for which everybody knows Barabbas is actually guilty. Pilate sees right through this and declares Jesus not guilty repeatedly during the trial, and even his wife's dreams are telling him to have nothing to do with the righteous man. Jesus' disciples could at least provide alibis and character testimony, but they've all run away. When Jesus asks the crowd what evil Jesus has done, their only explanation is, let him be crucified. When Pilate bows to the mob, washes his hands and says, I am innocent of this man's blood, see to it yourselves. The people so want Jesus dead and gone that they carelessly take responsibility and say, His blood be on us and our children. The death sentence for Jesus is a travesty. The motives for it are worse as various characters say it is better that Jesus die than we risk our position, or it is better to be rid of Jesus and lose our pride, or it is better to get rid of Jesus and give up the sins that work for me, or I'll have to get rid of Jesus or else people won't like me. Or this Jesus should be gone because everybody around me says so. That's ugly. And all those motives lurk around your heart. 
Better to be rid of the Holy One and let the sinful nature run free, says old Adam. Examine yourself. Beware of yourself and repent. Barabbas goes free. He's released that day while Jesus is crucified, sentenced for the sins for which Barabbas is actually guilty. If that's not ironic enough, the greater irony is that the name Barabbas literally means son of the father. The violent criminal son of the father is pardoned for his crimes and goes free, while the righteous son of the father, the only begotten son of the father from eternity, dies in his place on the cross. It is horrifying that on that day, Nobody wants to have anything to do with the righteous man. What's astonishing is that the righteous man wants everything to do with you. It's more than a literary irony when Jesus is crucified in the place of Barabbas. In the eyes of his father, the only begotten son is bearing Barabbas' sins and suffering in his place. He's bearing your sins to the cross, suffering and dying in your place. Though despised by men, he is stricken, smitten, and afflicted by God to pay the price to deliver you from the wages of sin. Because he dies in your place and rises again, God now calls you his son. Man or woman, you are now his beloved child and an heir to the kingdom of heaven. As long as you're in this world, your old sinful nature is going to want nothing to do with the righteous Savior. But that's not you anymore. In baptism, you are crucified with Christ. It is no longer you who live, but Christ who lives in you. Baptized, you have his promises like, It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Or, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. With promises like that, you can go forth with confidence and say, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? In a little while, we'll hear our four confirmants publicly confess the faith. It is no little thing to vow to hold to something even unto death, but it is a joyful pledge indeed, all the same. They and you hold to the righteous Son of God because He holds fast to you. The innocent Father's Son has gone to the cross and redeemed you so that you might dwell in His house forever. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.